Oh my God, I'm chilling. What happened? Oh my God. Oh, I just can't. What? Welcome new patrons, Sarah, Kelly, Claire, Nicole, Nicole, Diana, Esther, Maria, and Haley. Hey. Whoa. And Jumping I like right to just, in again. I, I like to do that. Just an easy way to start the episode. And the only custom shout out we have today is from Nicole, um, who shouts us out, which is so oh, nice. That is nice. I know. She said she's she loves us. Um, she works in the restaurant and three days of the week she's in the kitchen instead of helping customers up front so she has her headphones in and she always gasps and her coworkers <gasps> are like did something crazy happen on that murder podcast or Stop. they even just see her headphones and like you're listening to the murder podcast because they all know that when her headphones are in she's listening to people are the worst nicole uh, love it Stop thank it. you i can't read the whole paragraph it's so gushy on us yeah and it's It'll so like, nice but sound like a humble blast brag. it sounds so yeah humble brag um, but there I is no it. nicole Re rebecca wrote that <laughs> there is <laughs> you no imagine nicole. yeah you've changed my life you're doing the lord's work oh. <laughs> yeah and it's just oh my god <laughs> that's so nice well thank you everyone thank you nicole for your sweet shout out love it you're a girl yeah girl blue you know, a lot of people ask how we find our stories, and sometimes it's a simply a Google search that turns into a giant rabbit hole and blah, 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 blah. So many ways. But sometimes it's weird shit like this one. Oh. So what was it? Friday before Christmas, we were listening to me and Rachel in the car listening to this YouTube channel about a house that had Christmas lights that were flickering over and over and over. And one of the uh -huh. neighbors, let's call him John, went over to the house and rang the doorbell. And the owner, Paul, answered. And this guy told him, like, your lights are flickering. Just stop by to see if everything's okay, which is so neighborly. But mm -hmm. as he, as Paul answered the door, the lights stopped flickering. So he's like, oh, never mind. I was, you know, I was going to see if you needed help with your electricity, but you're, you're good. So Paul said everything was good. And they said bye. And as John was walking away, he heard a faint scream of a child. And now... Paul does not have kids. So John didn't address this, but he did go home and tell his wife. And his wife was like, uh, we need to call the police. So they did a welfare check and found a four-year-old boy in Paul's basement. He had he was kidnapped by Paul. So yeah, this YouTube we channel. We did listen to that. Yeah. And it was shocking. So this YouTube channel is very vague. So obviously I go to Google to find out more. And uh, I couldn't find this, I couldn't find this boy who was kidnapped. But I did find this story. And that's the one I remember you doing that. You Googled the name. And I was like, oh, my like God, I found a batshit story. This is my next episode. Yeah. Crazy. Oh, my God. I forgot about that. So today I am telling you about Paul Franzak. Okay. Separate Paul. People. Different Paul. Different Paul. Sources. Armchair investigator on YouTube. I have a note to find her credentials. I couldn't find her first name. I would love to shout her out. She did a great job, but that's all oh. I got. Armchair investigator on YouTube. All that is interesting. Thin Air podcast interviewed a few people involved in the story. ABC.com, BBC.com, thefoundling.com, and a few archive newspapers. Wow. Mm -hmm. April 26, 1964, Dora Franzak went into labor at Michael Reese Hospital in Chicago. 
She and her husband, Chester, were obviously very excited, but very nervous because only a year prior, she had had a baby in the exact same hospital who didn't make it. Oh, my God. It was a stillborn. So you can imagine how stressed they were this time around. Luckily, though, she had a smooth delivery and she gave birth to a cute ass little baby named Paul. Her nurse, 19 year old Mary Trenchard, said when she brought baby Paul in to do the first feeding, Dora was on cloud nine. Back then, when you had a baby, he or she went straight into the nursery while the mom went to the recovery room. So that first feeding is the very first time you see your little baby there. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. The next day, Dora and her hospital roommate, who also just had a boy, were chatting when a nurse they didn't know walked in. She looked around for something, then she left without saying anything. They didn't think much of it because, you know, nurses and doctors are come in and out of rooms all day. Yeah. And shifts change all day. Weird all times. damn day. Around 1 p.m., Nurse Mary brought Paul in for a feeding and then left. Once Dora and Paul were having their moment alone, the same unknown nurse came in and instructed Dora to feed Paul from a bottle. And she stood over her while she did it. So I think Dora was breastfeeding when she walked in, but she made her switch to a bottle filled with water, which is weird. Oh, whoa. Yeah. The nurse then said the doctor needed to check baby Paul. And without hesitation, Dora hands him over. Oh, no. I don't like this one bit. You shouldn't because... At 1.30 p.m., that bitch walks out the back door of the hospital with baby Paul securely wrapped in a swaddle and gets into a car. Oh, God, I'm sick. It wasn't until the nurses start taking the babies out of the nurseries to be with their mothers that the head nurse noticed baby Paul wasn't there. She pages nurse Mary, who is tending to several other patients, and asks where the baby Franzak is, and panic sets in. Oh, God. Security cameras are not a thing in 1964. Some places had them, but they weren't mainstream. Most didn't have them, and this one did not. The head nurse instructs Mary to go into Dora's room and play it cool and told her not to leave her side until a doctor comes in to get her. So essentially, she's there to distract Dora while the rest of the staff frantically searches the hospital. Oh, my God. So Mary, this poor 19-year-old, starts talking to Dora about the future and motherhood, which has got to be so heartbreaking to have this excited new mom all while knowing her baby is missing. Oh, my God. She even accompanies Dora to a few new mother classes that the hospital offers. What? After an hour of searching, the staff finally calls the police, and they arrive at 2.30 p.m. And at 3.30 p.m., Dora's doctor breaks the news that someone has taken her baby. And before she can even register what's happening, the police and FBI flood her hospital room, and the biggest manhunt in Chicago history at the time is launched. Oh my God. But she found that out and then also probably found out at the same time. And we've known this for two hours now. Yeah. I actually think the doctor first called Chester, her husband who had to go back to work and Chester had to come. And then they all just like broke it to her together. Oh, Oh my God. Oh. And then the police were called an hour after. Yeah. Gosh, that's so much. Get away time. Yeah. Yeah. By midnight, they had searched 600 homes. They even had mail carriers tell people when going door to door to drop off their mail, just to spread the word. I know. But the kidnapper, like we said, had an hour head start and they had a very general description of what she looked like. Like nothing made her stand out. Dora and her hospital roommate, Joyce, said that she was a thin white woman with shoulder length brown hair and likely between the ages of 35 and 45 years old. 
they blasted a sketch of what she might look look like and the leads poured in, but nothing came from them. Also, the hospital was near a highway, a train station, you name it. So that plus yeah. the hour head start, I mean, she's she could be out of the state by now. Yeah. A cab driver said he picked up a woman with the baby who matched that description in the back of the hospital, and he dropped her at a place on 35th and Halstead, which is about 15 minutes from the hospital. Then that woman got out and got into another car and drove off. Oh, wow. That's promising, though. Yeah, it's promising. Dora was kept in the hospital to be monitored and was treated like royalty. They gave her like filet mignon dinners and all the shit. But of course, it went uneaten because she was way too distraught to eat and apparently would just cry all night about how God did this to her again. Because oh, remember, my God. Only a year prior, she had lost a baby in that very hospital. And now it's happening all over again. That makes me want to cry. I know. The Franzaks went to the media to plead for the kidnapper to return their baby and even raise $10,000 reward, which is the equivalent to $100,000 today. And nothing came from this. But Dora had mother's intuition that it wasn't over, that she would see her son again. Because as we know, if someone takes a newborn baby, it's very likely not to murder them. Yeah. It's, they want to raise a baby. Yeah. And I hope in this case, baby Paul was colic and just kept that fucker up all day. <laughs> oh my God. Listen. This is going to be the most temperamental, baby. I'm going to give you hell while I'm in your custody. That's right. And then I'm going to return to Dora and be a sweet baby angel. Of course. Bring on that acid reflux. (laughs) Mm. Then 15 months go by. And July 2nd, 1965, a toddler is found in a stroller outside a department store nearly 800 miles away in Newark, New Jersey. A toddler is found in a stroller by itself? That's correct. Because, Rach, apparently this wasn't very unusual back then. So people didn't think (laughs) initially didn't think anything of it. Yeah, it wasn't unusual to leave your baby outside while you ran into a department store to do a little shopping. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. There are pictures. I'll, I'll post a picture of what one outside, I think it's outside of London, looks like in the 60s. It is bat shit they're like dogs tied up outside except they're not even tied up it's going to take a guy a minute to kidnap a dog these babies are just in the perfect getaway wagons just waiting to be rolled away it is oh my god shocking which like begs the question like when did people become the worst because clearly no one kidnapped back then or something i mean when when did kidnapping start (laughs) when did that become a thing (laughs) that is baffling that's the <laughs> shocking part is that i it? know that's that's the twist in all this so anyway this toddler is in this stroller waiting for his mom and he's in a blue suit and a high-end stroller so people really really don't think much of it because he is clearly taken care of but after he's a while in a blue suit yes like like a suit yeah yeah cute love so, it it's cute so but after a while and i'm not sure how long time had passed but bystanders are starting to get concerned. Like, where is this baby's parents? So they do end up calling the police. Cops get there and they note that the baby does have bruising on the face Uh-oh. and a bad cold, but other than that, appeared to be in good health. So they take him to the police station and wait for a frantic call from his parents that never come. After weeks of crickets, police sent this boy to a nearby adoption home where he spent the next eight months. And because no one knew anything about this baby, the state allowed the adoption home to give him a new name, Scott McKinley. 
And the people who ran this adoption home took very good care of him. There are pics of him playing. He's very cute, very happy. They were even thinking about adopting Scott themselves, all while the newspapers in Newark and New York City were constantly running stories of this abandoned baby, hoping that someone would come forward with and either claim him or give more information about who he was, but nothing, nothing came from it. One of the detectives on the case remembered the stolen baby from 1964 and reached out to the Chicago police. DNA obviously wasn't available back then. And sadly, baby Paul was kidnapped before the hospital could even do the footprint and handprint. So they had nothing on baby Paul except one picture they took right after he was born where he's holding his little stats card and it says his weight and height and he's really freaking cute. God, <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm surely he's not holding it, but okay. no, he's not. It's sure, just based sure. on him. He's like, he's in that yeah. swaddle that we were all swaddled with. <laughs> we st- they still do it. Still. I'm like, how, who makes the a swaddle and are they swaddle? retired on their own private island because they have had the market cornered, <laughs> yeah. the baby market cornered for, I mean, since the beginning of time, it I seems mean, like. honestly, the same swaddle I was swaddled in is what my kids were swaddled in, what's what my <laughs> grandmother swaddled in, fucking everyone. That blanket maker is sitting pretty. Uh-huh. So no way of knowing for sure, but as I think you know, Rach, the external, e- external ear can be used as a good identifier because the structure of your ear doesn't really change over time. See, insert Nicholas Barclay episode. I don't know which one it is. It's our earlier episodes. Mm. Insert here. Mm. Oh, is that how they, oh, that's how they, mm-hmm. that's oh, how they okay. figured it out. I actually read some, something from National Library of Medicine from 2021, arguing that the ear should be used for recognition AI instead of the face. I think it's because we didn't know how long COVID was going to last and face recognition obviously didn't work with masks. But even without that, people today think the ear is more effective than the fingerprint because fingerprints can change over time, callus over, rub off, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So authorities tested tested his ear, external ear, with 10,000 babies around the country that they thought could be baby Paul. And the only one they couldn't rule out was baby Scott. Wow. And ultimately, it was the shape of this abandoned baby's ear that led investigators to the fact that this was very likely Paul Franzak. Whoa. March of 1966, detectives notified Dora and Chester that they might have finally found their baby alive and well, and they dropped everything and hauled ass to Newark, New Jersey. The FBI and investigators set up a meeting for the Franzaks to see Scott. The state worker brought him in, and it was silence for a few seconds. Then Dora yelled out in a shaky voice, oh my God, that's my baby. He was kidnapped at 37 hours old, and now almost two years later, he is reunited with his parents. There's a picture of that day with the family and the FBI agents who helped reunite them, and Paul's playing on the phone like he has it up to his ear. It's so cute. The emotions that day, I can't imagine. No. They had to adopt him back, and they legally changed his name back to Paul Joseph Franzak, which was all done by December of that year. Now, let's find that twat, right? Right. Wrong. Dora and Chester wanted to put the entire thing behind them and even agreed not to tell Paul this ever happened. Now that their family was whole again, they wanted to add to it. And not long after being reunited with Paul, Dora had her second baby named David. Can you imagine labor this time? I'd be like, don't even clean my baby. I'll take the damn child. I'll be on my way. Bye. Bye, bitches. Mm, I want to find that bitch, though. I know. Don't worry. We're only on page 
9 of 20. So as you did in the 60s, they were planning to sweep this whole thing under the carpet and take this horrific two years to the grave and just give their boys a great life, which they did. Why are you laughing? <laughs> whole thing under the rug, not a carpet. Is it the rug? Rug. Carpet's wall to wall. You can't sweep shit under that. <laughs> right. Okay. They did give their boys a great life. They were very happy kids, best friends, the whole thing. Now, when Paul was 10 years old, he was snooping for Christmas presents and came oh, yeah. across a box in the crawl space of their house. When he opened it, he saw a ton of newspaper cl clippings, condolences cards. One source even said the Pope wrote them. One oh, headline God. read, baby stolen from Michael Reese Hospital and baby Franzak still missing. They're all about the stolen baby featuring pictures of his crying parents begging for a safe return. Then he found articles about how he was the kidnapped baby was reunited with his parents. He saw pictures of himself with the FBI. He read every last word of every single Whoa. article and every single handwritten sympathy card in that box. Oh, my God. Completely shocked. He ran to his mom, who was washing dishes or something, and was obviously very caught off guard. Paul said her face got very red. She got very upset for him snooping, and she started shaking and told him, very matter of fact, you were kidnapped. We found you. We loved you. We'll never talk about this again. Ooh. And went back to washing dishes. And I guess because she was visibly shaking, very upset, and had to relive it, Paul didn't push it. He was 10? He was 10. But obviously, he always wanted to know who kidnapped him and why and what his life was like for those first two years. Like, were they awful? And then they decided they didn't want him, and that's why they abandoned him in the stroller? Like, so many questions. But he would not get answered for over 40 years. Oh, my God. He never brought it up to his parents again as a kid. And as a teenager, he got really into music. He joined a band, and after graduation, they moved to Arizona. Five years later, the band broke up. He joined the Army. He moved around a little bit and settled in Las Vegas and actually dabbled in a little acting. He appeared in a few commercials. He was a stand-in for George Clooney in Ocean's Eleven. So, okay. Yeah, he's hot. Oh. Uh-huh. And he had a small part in Rush Hour 2. Okay. And in 2005, he, went, he met a woman named Michelle, who he ended up marrying in 2008. And he didn't tell her right away what happened to him, but eventually did say he was kidnapped as a baby. He lived with the kidnappers for the first two years of his life. The FBI found him, returned him to his parents. So pretty much everything he knew, he told her. Yeah. And he kind of found peace with the fact that he may not never know what those kidnappers did to him or who they were. And it wasn't until 2009 when he and Michelle had a child of their own, a baby girl, that he started wondering again. And this kind of started his own investigation. But... It took him a couple of years to bring up to his parents again, which I think was the first time he brought it up since he was 10 years old. Oh, wow. This is 2009. He told his parents he was going to find out who took him, and they gave their blessing, but a few days later retracted it and asked him not to. They didn't want to relive it. They didn't want to know what their poor baby went through. They just, they wanted it behind them. Uh, they didn't even want to know if the kidnappers were still alive. But Paul has the right to know. So sure. against their wishes... He started playing detective and he submits his and his parents' DNA to one of those websites. And a few weeks later, he gets a call confirming he is not Paul Franzak. He was oh my God. not the stolen baby. Oh my God. I was so nervous about that. 
And the first thing he said he thought was, where's Paul? He wasn't even worried about (gasps) himself. He just wanted to know who Paul was for his parents. And this became his mission to find out. But, and who is he? Tip of the iceberg. This story is crazy. Go. Here we effing go. Imagine that blow. You don't know who you really are, what your born given name is, your birthday, who your parents are, why they left you in that stroller. What the hell happened? Like now what? He has no idea what to do. Oh my God. As he got older and thought about it though, he always wondered like, what if I'm not baby Paul? And he goes back to that picture where he was reunited with the FBI where he's playing with the phone and his father is looking at him. And Paul's always thought that maybe his dad was looking at him trying to figure out if it's really his son. He always had a feeling that there was doubt in that picture. And it could could have simply just not been ready or just looking at his son who he had just been reunited with. So there's no telling if his dad actually ever doubted it. But he also, what? A newborn baby looks Mm -hmm. so different from what they look like when they're almost two years old. Like they're just, no, you would never see a two-year-old and recognize him from when he was 37 hours old. Never. I know. I, I mean, there's no way. I know. And you've got so to, different. And you've got to, oh, I, I can't imagine the sadness I feel for Dora. I mean, the sadness Dora feels. But this made national news. She had FBI investigators, everyone in the country looking at her, waiting for to be reunited with this baby. Yeah. Like she just wanted it to be home. No, I know. It's, so it's like, oh, my heart breaks for her being like, oh my God, that's my baby. Because that's just going to be my baby. This baby was abandoned. Yeah. This baby had bruising on his face, clearly abused. I'm take that's my baby. Yeah. So it's so similar to so the Nicholas sad. Barclay, and so sad. Uh-huh. Uh huh. He also always noticed his brother David looks exactly like their father, but Paul doesn't. So he's always kind of wondered, but yeah. So after this holy shit moment, he tells his mom. And while you would think the best thing to do would be tell her in person or at least over the phone, he doesn't. He decides to write them an email because he thought she would shut it down, shut the conversation down if he attempted to tell her via phone. And his dad is very hard of hearing. So he just went with the email, just back off about it. We're cool. Subject line, I have some news, dot, dot, dot. Oh, no. This is paraphrased. It was a very long email. But essentially it says, dear mom and dad. First, I'm your son and I always will be. You and dad have been wonderful parents and have shaped me into the person I am today. I love you both and that will be forever. The DNA results came back and it turns out that I am not your biological son. I am not the kidnapped baby that was stolen from your arms in 1964. This means the real Paul Joseph Franzak could still still be out there not knowing who he is. I want to find out if he's alive and what happened to him and what happened to me. I hope you and dad will be, be with me on this and be a part of this process Thank you for all you have done for me in the past and for the rest of our future together. Your loving son, Paul. Again, that's paraphrase. It's very long. Wow. They were very upset. They told him not to submit the results. And now they're devastated all over again. And they feel like Paul thinks they weren't good parents. What? No, he said you were. It's not about that at all. Even his brother, David, is pissed. And it causes a rift between the three of them for a couple of years. I don't think they spoke for two years. I mean, I know everyone's a victim. I know. I think they deep down probably knew, obviously, as he got older and science advanced, he had to know. And they eventually became on good terms again. So don't worry about it. But all right. But when he first got the news, he became obsessed trying to find the real Paul. 
Apparently, even his wife, Michelle, wanted him to let it go, but he couldn't, obviously. And ultimately, it became one of the reasons his marriage didn't last. Oh, which, Mish. (laughs) I mean, I wasn't there day to day in their marriage, so I don't know what obsess looks like. But holy shit, I mean, it would consume me. Yeah. If if my husband Barrett found that out, it would consume me. I would become obsessed. Like, yeah, I know. Holy shit, who are you? What, I mean, yeah. That's that more. I can't believe that didn't consume him. Is I want to know who I am. Mm-hmm. Why was I in a stroller by myself with bruises right. on my face? Don't worry. God. Okay. Get to it. Okay. Onward with his own investigation. Onward and upward. He has no idea where to start, like I said. So he turns to the media. And in 2013, a reporter named George Knapp aired his story, and the response was overwhelming. He had so many people wanting to interview him. Matt Lauer wanted to send a helicopter to bring him to the Today Show. Inside Edition tried to get him, but he met Barbara Walters and said she was so cool, so nice, and she had adopted a child, so he he chose Babs. Go, girl. And in 2014, he did an interview on 2020, and it gained a ton of traction. What? How have I not heard of this? I know. This is all from Googling that freaking YouTube. Oh, my God. I know. Yeah. He told Barbara that he felt like an imposter. Here he was using this man's name for over 45 years. He said he wanted to give Paul, the real Paul, his birth certificate. He had it. Oh my God. Yeah. And he, and he wanted to find his. Enter CC Moore, who saw the 2020. Oh, CC, what are you doing? CC Moore is a world renowned genetic genealogist. If you remember, she was the one who solved Linda Slayton's case in episode 59, nearly 40 years later. Oh, wow. She's. A badass. My research on Linda's episode introduced me to Cece Moore, and now I see her name everywhere. Did she, she did started Baby Holly, maybe? Huh? Did she do Baby Holly's genealogy, too? Oh, I'm sure she did. Well, she started her career in 2018, and as of 2022, she had solved over 150 murder and rape cases, most being decades old. Oh, my God. She's the real deal. If you get her in your camp, you're getting answers. Okay, go girl. She uploaded Paul's DNA to 23andMe, Ancestry, and other sites like that and got a team together to start putting together a family tree. And it took years because those sites were much smaller back then. Yeah, they're new. Mm -hmm. I'm actually surprised they're even that old right now. They weren't. I mean, Paul entered his DNA and his first hit, not one match for like three months. So very, very scarce on there. Yeah. The database was tiny. Yeah. The first connection he did get was a man named Alan Fish, who was Paul's biological second cousin. So oh, they okay. shared great grandparents. Now we're getting somewhere. Now we're getting somewhere. Paul reached out to Alan and he was very willing to help. But as it turns out, Alan was adopted. Oh, so in order to solve shit. Paul's family history, they need to solve Alan's as well. Luckily, Alan was legally adopted, so they can pull those records and find the names of his biological parents. Okay. Him and Paul talked all the time. They were planning to meet for the first time in New York City and actually do a follow-up 2020 episode together. But two days before that meeting, Alan wasn't feeling well and went to the hospital. A few hours later, he was dead. What? He had an aneurysm. Oh, my God. Two days before the interview. Paul was about to meet his very first biological family member, and he dies. 
48 hours before. Before that, were they able to pull the they had original, I mean, the biological parents? Oh, they hadn't yet. Luckily, they still can without Alan being there, but it's quite the process. Yeah. I'm sure you can imagine. And my, oh my God, God, just bizarre. That is so sad. So they eventually do get their hands on the records and they find out that Alan's biological parents were only 15 when they had him. Hence why they gave him up for adoption. Right. I'm not sure what happened to his mom, but they did find his biological dad. His name is Lenny Rocco, who is still alive, by the way. Yeah. And he was a famous doo-wop singer in the 50s. Stop Stop it. I know. Cute. Cute. He actually did not know he fathered a child until he was (gasps) approached by Paul and his team. Whoa. So Lenny, also very willing to help, shared about 6% of Paul's DNA, which means one of Lenny's first cousins would be one of Paul's birth parents. So weird okay. they can f- link God, this is fascinating. Isn't it? Like, gets so excited. It's probably why I'm talking so fast, or I feel like I am. Whoa. Okay. So, CC Morin hit the rest of Paul's dream team, narrow it down to two cousins, and hone in on them hard. One day in 2015, Paul is sitting at work and gets a call from CC, who asks, what do you think of the name Jack? And he's all, I don't know. I like it. It's a strong name. And she says, well, it's your name. (gasps) She goes on to tell him that his name is Jack Rosenthal. Oh, my God. He was born on October 27th, 1963 in Atlantic City. So he's actually six months older than he thought he was. Whoa, yeah. And, ready? No, I'm really not. She tells him he has a twin who is also missing. What? Her name is Jill Rosenthal. Jack and Jill. I am dying. Are you making this up as you go along? No. I could, I'm not that creative. Fuck that. Can oh. you believe this? Wow. So now he's adding to his mission. He wants to find the real Paul Franzak and he wants to find his sister. Here's what we know. Jack and Jill's parents were Gilbert and Marie Rosenthal and complete assholes who were very abusive. They had two older sisters and a younger brother who their parents were completely normal to. No abuse, nothing. It was only the twins who got the neglect. Paul, I will continue calling Jack Paul because this is legal now. I know it's going to confuse matters. So legally, that's his name. Even though he's not stolen baby Paul, you with me? Yes. But to make matters confusing, he does sometimes go by Jack Franzak. His Instagram says Paul Jack Franzak. And he says he likes the name Jack better than the name Paul. But I'm not sure if he ever legally changed it because, my God, could you imagine explaining that shit to the Social Security office? No. Golly. Get out of here. You could call him Paul Jack. Yeah, we, we can call him Paul Jack. Okay. So Paul Jack has actually spoken to one of his biological sisters and his younger brother, and neither of them remember having twin siblings. What? I'm not sure what the age difference was between them. Paul did say his team, Paul Jack did say his team found a blurb of a newspaper talking about the birth of Jack and Jill and how the Rosenthal's had four kids in five years or something. So I know they were very close in age, but it's so crazy that the older sister especially doesn't even remember twin siblings 
can you imagine that news? Like, wait, what? Right. I lived with you and everything, and I, I just had no idea. Right. No pictures? Well, funny you mentioned pictures, but they do find some pictures, and we'll get to that. But first, I want to confirm they do find Jack and Jill's birth certificate, so they know they were actually born into this family. And actually, Lenny Allen Fish's biological dad helped put some pieces together and said Gilbert, who is Paul Jack's biological father, was a great guy. But when he came back from the Korean War, he was completely different. He suffered from what we now know as PTSD, and it just spiraled. He was very angry, very mean, very unhinged. And Marie, his wife, and Paul Jack's biological mom, was an alcoholic who simply did not give a damn about two of her five kids. Oh, my God. Other biological family members stepped in who do remember Marie having twins and remember the neglect and abuse targeted on just them, saying they were often kept in cages in a dark room. What? As word spread, more people came forward. Paul even got to meet Nurse Mary, Dora's <gasps> 19-year-old nurse from 1964, who cried when she met him, even though he wasn't the same stolen right. baby Paul. It's just affected her whole life that she's riddled with guilt. And of course it wasn't her fault, but anyway. Oh my God. Also a woman named Susan Waller came forward. She used to babysit the older Rosenthal children. And she told Paul Jack that one night when she came over to babysit, Gilbert and Marie had told her, quote, not to bother with the twins upstairs. She went upstairs after they left. She went upstairs out of curiosity and she found Jack and Jill in that room, that dark room. It was completely empty except the cribs they were in. So they were in cribs in this, on this scenario, but often kept in cages. And remembers that Jack had a black eye and Jill was filthy and the room reeked of urine because her sheets hadn't been changed in God knows how long. She felt oh, so God. bad for them. She spent the whole night in their room playing with them. And when Gilbert and Marie came, came home, they were furious. What the hell? They eventually told everyone that Jack and Jill were too much to handle, so they gave them up for adoption, when in reality, they left Jack in a stroller outside of a re retail store, and we have no idea what happened to Jill. Sadly, Still to this day, we do not know if she's alive and unknowingly living under another name, if she was left in a separate stroller outside a separate retail store to be picked up, or if they killed Jill, whether on purpose or accident, and got rid of Jack because they couldn't explain just having one twin. <gasps> Paul Jack wow. Sally thinks the third scenario is most likely the case and even went to the Rosenthal's old house and got permission to dig up the backyard to see if he can find her remains. No. His twin sister's infant remains. No. But to no avail. And unfortunately, obviously, Gilbert and Marie have already died and gone to hell, so they can't answer for it. Oh, man. Now, for the pictures. Paul later found a photo album of Gilbert and Marie's children in chronological order, and the pages where he and Jill would have been are ripped out. Shut up. One source said that the very few family photos that did include them, their faces are scratched out. Can you imagine Whoa. that rejection? Like, even 50 years later, my feelings are hurt thinking about it. I'm, like, shocked by this. And then they went on to have kids younger than them? Right. Like, Why did y'all hate these two so much? They're twins and hard to handle, I'm sure. And well, screw you. I know, but they grow up to be delightful. I know. Yeah, joke's on you. Twins are fun to raise, assholes. Oh, sad. And like so how wait. you can have that emotional attachment taking care of a one baby, three babies, really, 
And just for two, you, like not a shred of sympathy, love, anything. It's weird. It's so weird. But with the scenarios of what could have happened to Jill, were there any other reports of abandoned, missing babies around that time? Girls? Uh, I think they were nothing that made national news that they can find. No. So that that's why I think he strongly suspects scenario three. They killed her. Oh. But the hunt still continues. There's not a known picture of Jill anywhere. But National Center for Missing Exploited Children has done an age progression photo in case she is still alive. So I encourage you to look it up on their website or just Google. A few women have reached out to Paul thinking they might be her. And as of September 2023, the DNA results were pending. But I assume we would know by now. And not, yeah. none of them panned out. So just Google her people. See if. I don't know. She might be out yeah. there living under an unknown There's name. There's an age progress photo. Okay. Yeah, there is an age progress photo. So all while trying to find Jill, the search also continued for the real Paul Franzak. And in 2019, we finally get some answers. Oh, my God. A Michigan woman submitted her DNA to one of the websites, and she got a match as David Franzak's niece. Remember, David is Doran Chester's biological son. Paul oh, Jack's brother, who yeah. Paul Jack thought was his brother for over 40 years. That it was a match as his niece. So this woman's father must be the real Paul Franzak. Oh and my god. Finally, the real baby Paul was revealed. Kevin Beatty was a machinist and a mold maker who grew up in Manton, Michigan, a town of about 1,200 people and about 300 miles from Chicago. His parents had already passed away, so he has no idea how they got him or what happened. All he had known his entire life was he was Kevin Beatty. So this was a shock to him. And understandably, he nor his family would talk to the media or even Paul Jack. But he would speak to Dora. Oh, Chester cry. had already died by this point. Chester died in 2017. But he got to speak to his mother for the first time in 55 years after he was kidnapped. My nose is crinkling. She wanted to know what kind of life Kevin had lived all these years, so they planned to meet. But very stalking, sadly, Kevin died from cancer before they got to. I can't. He died April 25th, 2020, one day before his actual birthday. But oh. she did not see this as a loss. He was already terminal when they first spoke on the phone, and she got to say goodbye just in case they never got to meet. And she even thanked her adopted son, Paul Jack, for doing all of this because it gave her the opportunity to speak to her baby, her baby that she had only known for 37 hours. Oh. <laughs> Damn we it. tears in the house. Damn. I just Wait. Can't. But, okay, so during the phone call meeting, was she like, so tell me about your mom. Was she a nurse? Or no, I guess she wasn't ever a nurse. No, he was just, actually, he was raised by a woman named Lorraine Fountain. They have no mm. idea why he was raised as last name Beatty. He never got any of that answered. Uh, but he did Lorraine have some Fountain questions that they talked about. He has never, he never spoke to Paul Jack or the media. I think Dora told Paul Jack, but that's not released. Their conversation is understandably private between them, whatever they talked about. No know, idea what Dora found out. I want to just know if Lorraine Fountain was in Chicago on April 26th, Well, we'll get there, too. We'll get there. Because there's a very solid theory. 
Oh, okay. Do we spit on well, the grave but or not, not about Lorraine? We'll see. You'll see. Oh. We don't know for certain who stole baby Paul that day, but a man named Johnny Harbaugh did come forward and said he believes his mother, who is also already dead, very likely is the kidnapper. Oh, why does he think? All right, well, let's get into that. Sorry, Lorraine Fountain. Linda Taylor is an infamous con woman who is nicknamed the welfare queen in the 70s and was even vilified by President Ronald Reagan in a televised speech. He said that the state government committee discovered Linda had used up to 100 aliases and 50 false addresses. She was in Chicago at the time. She fits the description. So I think it's oh. pretty likely. Her son, Johnny, told 2020 his mother would do anything to survive. Steal, kidnap, whatever. She even had an entire room dedicated to disguises, including nurses' uniforms. Um, but did they match the nurses at the time at that hospital? Yeah, he, he had, she had tons of them. She had doctor's okay. uniforms, nurses' uniforms. I think they were per, pretty standard, the whites. But she uh -huh. had several versions of them. So. Okay. He saw the only confirmed picture of baby Paul, which was the one taken the day he was born uh, with yeah. his little stats card. And he remembers in 1964 when he was a teenager, Linda came home with a baby that looked exactly like that, full head of hair and all. Oh. And he remembers playing with them and even nicknamed him Tiger. Then one day he came home from school and Tiger was gone and he was never mentioned again. What? Now, when Linda was finally caught for welfare fraud in the 70s, her ex-husband even confirmed in her trial back then, I think it was like 1977 was her trial, that she brought, she did bring home a newborn baby in the 60s and he doesn't know what happened to him. Wait, but what, what's anyone like, hey, where'd that baby go? What'd she say? Yeah, but she's just known for that. She would, I don't she was just sketchy. She they just yeah, accepted she did, her I don't think it was her first stolen baby. But oh my God. this one, but Linda did deny until her death that she took baby Paul. So we really, we don't know, but we kind of do, I think. I would be very interested in knowing if Linda had some sort of connection to the parents who raised Paul as Kevin Beatty to Lorraine yeah. Fountain. Yeah. That would be very, I, I tried to look that up to see if there's any connection. But again, as President Reagan said, she had 100 aliases. So who the hell knows if Lorraine knew her as Linda or knew her as Sarah or whatever. Yeah. But it sounds like Linda is a, is a solid front-running suspect. Sure. Paul Jack has gone on to write two books called The, the Foundling. That's the source I listed up top. The Foundling yeah. and True Identity. A fascinating, fascinating Gosh. man who had three freaking names before he was three years old. Jack, Scott, and Paul. Oh my God, I forgot about Scott. And that is the insane roller coaster of a story of Paul Franzak, Jack Rosenthal, and his missing twin, Jill. Oh my God. That is the shit. I was with Rebecca when she found that story and she was like, this is my next story. And I was like, okay, tell me all about it. And she was like, hell no. We, hell we never tell no. each other this story before, but <sighs> wow. The roller coaster of emotions. All from Googling that like really quick <laughs> random story that we listened to on YouTube. <sighs> okay. Wow. I'm exhausted now. I know. Thanks, everyone. Wow. Thanks, everyone. What'd you think? Go look Have for any Jill. questions? <laughs> Go look for Jill. It's crazy. We are the so best. Sad. People are the worst. Bye. Bye.